woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, Satan knew about this partnership. He knew what was going on. He knew what needed to take place if he was going to have access. And Satan knew he only had access to man if he could destroy the partnership. If he could remove the partnership between God and man, Satan knew that's how I'm going to have access to man. Now, why did Satan want to have access to man? Because man looked just like God. And Satan knew. What was, why did Satan get kicked out of heaven? Why did Lucifer, the angel of light, get thrown out? Because he tried to overtake God. He wanted God to bow down to him. Well, when he looks at man, he sees the same thing that God is. So he says, well, I can't get God, but I'll get man. Because man is created in his image. So if man can bow down to me, essentially God is bowing down to me. That was, that was his plan. That was his design. But he knew the only way I'm going to have access to man is to destroy the partnership. The only way I'm going to have access in the earth and be able to, to rule over man and get man to do what I want him to do instead of, instead of him doing what God wants him to do is to break that partnership. In essence, he's saying, if I can get him to disobey God, then I can get him to obey me. And you've heard me say before that, you know, a lot of times when we think we're doing what we want to do, I want to do my thing, I want to do what I want to do. Well, you're not doing what you want to do. You're actually giving yourself in obedience to the enemy. See, even, even the selfish thought of, I want to do what I want to do, is, carries with it sin, which is disobedience to God and obedience to the devil to the very enemy that we're here to take over and overthrow. Okay? So Satan here in Genesis chapter 3 begins to attack Eve. And what's he doing? He's bringing doubt to God's word because he knows that disobedience is the key. So if I can get them to doubt what God is telling them to do, you know, I mean, God gave all kinds of commands and all kinds of directions, but there was one command that would lead to Adam and Eve's death. And that was, do not eat of the tree. So where did Eve go? To the tree. Eat of the tree. You won't surely die. What's he doing? Bringing doubt to God's word, because if they can doubt it, then they'll disobey it, and they'll obey me. Now I'm going to tell you something right now. The enemy is still working the same way today. The same exact way. And I'm going to show you that here in just a little bit. Let me show you real quick a story. I gave you a story last week of someone that did it right. Now I want you to look in 1 Samuel chapter 15 with me. 1 Samuel chapter 15. And this is a story of a man named Saul. Saul was anointed king by God, placed in charge of Israel by God, and the king was only effective in his role as king of Israel because Israel is God's people. He's only effective in that role if he remains in authority to the ultimate king, to the king. Uh, if you remember the story of when the people of Israel came to Samuel, who was the prophet at that time, the man of God, they came to him and said, we want a king. We want a king. Give us a king. And Samuel said, 
you know, Samuel got all distraught. Samuel got all worried about it and went to God. And God said, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me as their king. See, Israel already had a king. But they wanted a king that they could see. They wanted a king that they could touch. So God gave them Saul. And Saul reigned and he was righteous for a little while. But he did what most men do and he got off. And he became selfish. And he began to use his authority inappropriately. And got away from what God was asking him to do and started doing his own thing. So in 1 Samuel chapter 15, we'll start with verse 1. Samuel came to Saul and he said, The Lord has sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. He's saying, listen to what God has to say. God's about to give you some instruction. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now that verse right there, I have a whole sermon that I'll preach one day. There's a whole backstory to this. There is a reason why God wanted Amalek destroyed. But I'm going to tell you right now, God wanted the Amalekites destroyed. God did. Saul didn't wake up one morning and said, hey, let's take out the Amalekites. Look who's given the instruction. God has given the instruction. Verse 3, now go and attack Amalek. And utterly destroy all that they have. Do not spare them. Kill both man, woman, infant, nursing child, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. And we're thinking, dude, this is harsh. God's wanting them to take out all the animals, every man, every woman, every child, the king himself. We're thinking, wow, this is what, what kind of God would call this? Well, let me tell you, the Amalekites did a very bad sin against God way back in the book of Genesis. They were the seed of someone that shouldn't have been born. And there was an opportunity in Genesis for this nation of people to be wiped out. And that person didn't obey. So now God has moved up thousands and thousands of years. These Amalekites have now become strong. In fact, the Amalekites are the number one enemy against Israel at this time. And God's saying, get rid of them all. Why? I need to get rid of the seed in the earth. I need to get rid of that seed. So that's why he's so strong. That's why he's so intent on his instruction here. Now let's go down to verse 8. Verse 8, he also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. Verse 9, but Saul and the people spared Agag, the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. Unwilling to utterly destroy. What was the command? Utterly destroy. He is unwilling. But everything despised and worthless, that is what they utterly destroyed. So we see here that Saul is in what? Direct disobedience to the word of God, to the word of the king, to what God has said. Saul is in a position of authority, but he's not to rule on his own. He's to rule 
according to what God says, according to how God says to rule. And he's in direct disobedience. Now let's skip down to verse 18. Let's skip on down to verse 18. Samuel ends up showing up here. And in verse 18 he says, Now the Lord sent you on a mission. Who sent him on a mission? The Lord. The Lord sent you on a mission. And said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Now, there were times where God said, you can take the spoils. There were times where God said, but see, this is why we have to pay attention to God's instruction in every specific battle. Because he may say to do it this way one time, but he may say to do it a different way another time. So you may be believing God for something, and he may say, give financially. And so you give financially, and God answers your prayer. God fights your battle for you. But then you get in the same situation next time, and this time he says to do something different. And we try to fight the battle the same way we did last time. Oh, well, last time I got out of this by giving this person this. So I'll do that again. It worked last time. And that's not what God's looking for. God's looking for your direct obedience in every situation according to what he tells us to do, not based on last time. In this situation, God is saying, utterly destroy everything. Get rid of all of it. I want nothing left over. And so Saul's ended up in direct disobedience. Samuel's asking him, but Look what he said there in verse 18. Now the Lord sent you on a mission. The first key that you have to understand when you're fighting the battles in your life is that they're not your battles. You're fighting someone else's battle. That's why God, we saw last week, went to King Jehoshaphat and said, the battle is not yours, the battle is the Lord's. This battle doesn't even belong to you. Which means... You don't fight it the way you think you want to fight it. And I can tell you right now, I mean, we just have seen so many examples that when you fight it the way he tells you to fight it, you come out a winner. You come out victorious. But a lot of us in our struggles and the the things that come against us is we're fighting them the way we want to fight them. Well, I'll pray this amount of time and I'll read my Bible this amount of time and, and, and I'll give this amount of money. And God's saying... Listen to what I'm asking you to do. This is a co-op mission. We're fighting this thing together. And you'll find out that if you just obey me, I've got you covered. I mean, that's the whole point in a co-op mission. When you get two soldiers going in together and they're going in co-op, they are cooperating with each other. They don't leave each other out to dry. They don't fight behind each other's backs. They got each other's backs. That's the whole point. So now let's go down here and find out what happens in verse 22. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? What he was saying was, We kept all the best and we wanted to sacrifice it. That was Saul's excuse. Saul said he was scared of what the people would do. He listened to the people instead of listening to God. And then uh, he came back and said, We were going to keep all the good stuff and we were going to sacrifice it to God. 
And Samuel says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Look what it says in verse 23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. He removed the kingdom from him because he was unable to remain under God's authority. The inability to remain under God's authority will get you removed from authority. And this is where a lot of believers are at, is we're trying to exercise authority. We know we have authority. We know we have power. We know we have dominion. And we're trying to walk in that, yet we are powerless because there's something that just hasn't been dealt with. You know, he said there that obedience is better than sacrifice. You know what you know what obedience is? Obedience is sacrificing yourself. And that's the sacrifice that God wanted from Saul. That's the sacrifice he wanted. He didn't want the sacrifice of animals, he didn't want the sacrifice of this and that. He didn't want the best of the stuff. He wanted to know that Saul would sacrifice his will. And his will was to please the people. He said that. He heeded the word of the people instead of heeding the word of God. And so, God wanted to know, are you willing to sacrifice yourself? Are you willing to give yourself up? Are you willing to lay yourself down? That's the sacrifice God was looking for. And that comes in obedience. And so, he lost the kingdom. He lost the rulership he had. He lost the dominion he had. Your inability to remain under God's authority removes you from authority. Now, this is actually the same exact thing that Adam and Eve did. They were given dominion. They were given authority. They were given uh, power to rule over the earth. They had all the power over that snake. But their inability to remain under God's rule removed them from authority. And now their power, now their dominion, now their authority in the earth has been taken away. Where's the victory in that? There's no victory there. The authority that God has given us is what, it, what enables us to have victory in life. There's no victory. There's, there's, no, uh, there's no power in that. I mean, it's like, it's like this. There's a difference between power and authority. Power is the ability to overtake somebody... But authority is the right. See, if Dennis came up to me and asked for my ID, he has no right. And he may have the power to overtake me and steal it from me, but does he have the authority? But see, a cop with a badge, he's got the authority. The authority is the power that when he comes and asks me for my license, He doesn't have to use any power beyond that. The authority contains all the power. Now, if I don't submit to that, obviously he's going to bring some power. He's going to pull something off his hip or he's going to 
start binding me up, cuffing me up, right? Why? Because he has the right. Now, if someone tries to use the power without the authority, that's called illegal. That's illegal. And so we got Christians running around acting illegally, trying to force power on the enemy when we have power over him, but the power is in the authority. And we don't have the right because we haven't remained submitted to God. God's still dealing with this one thing. I mean, Mark 11, chapter 22, 23, 24, we know those verses. If you have the faith as a mustard seed, you can speak to this mountain, say, be moved into the sea, and it shall what? Be removed. But then we don't want to look at 25 and 26. And he goes into saying, if you have unforgiveness or if you have ought against your brother, you need to go ask for forgiveness. Otherwise, these prayers aren't going to be answered. What's he saying? You've got to follow my instruction. You've got to stay submitted to my authority if you want to have authority. I mean, that's one of the most authoritative verses in the Bible. And we, we love those verses. Yeah, I've got the faith as a mustard seed. That's, that's not much. I can do that. But we've got something that's hindering us from exercising the proper authority in our life. So that's the place we have to look. That's where we have to go. Adam and Eve didn't have their authority stolen from them. They gave it up. When, when the Bible says that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Adam and Eve didn't have their, that, they didn't get that stolen they didn't, the enemy didn't come at them with a, with a gun between their eyeballs and say, give me your dominion and authority over the earth or I'm going to shoot you. He just tricked them. He's the most cunning of all the beasts of the field. He's the most cunning creature on the earth. And he got them out of the partnership with God. But look at this in Matthew chapter 4. Thank God this partnership has been restored. <coughs> this partnership has been restored. Matthew chapter 4. This is Jesus right before he's beginning his ministry. Now you have to understand that Jesus is 100% God, but he's 100% man. Don't ask me to explain it. I don't know how. I'm not going to. <laughs> he is 100% God. But he is 100% man. He has every ability to give in to anything the enemy brings at him. Now, I told you earlier that the enemy is doing the same thing he did in the garden today. I just said that, right? Watch this. 4 verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, Command these stones to become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So the enemy has come and attacked Jesus the same exact way, the same way that he attacked Adam and Eve against God's word. But, Jesus shows us how to do it the right way. Thank God Jesus came to show us the right way. Jesus came in the form of man 
to show us what this divine partnership is supposed to look like. And he does what? He remained obedient. The devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you. Look at this. This is the devil talking. This ain't in red. If you got one of those Bibles with red, that's not in red. Did you know the devil knows the Bible? Do you know he's not afraid to use it? I mean, he used God's word against Adam and Eve. He's using God's word against God's son. The audacity, right? You're going to bring my dad's word against me? That's what he's doing. He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Now, Jesus, being 100% man, he's got an opportunity here. Well, you know, that, that is in there. My father did say that. But what does he do? He stays away from the trickery and the cunning deceit of Satan. I'm going to tell you right now, if Adam and Eve would have done what Jesus is doing here, we wouldn't be in the predicament we're in today. If Adam and Eve would have gone back to God's Word and studied God's Word, I mean, I don't know if you've ever noticed Eve's response. But Satan said, you will not surely die. Did, did God tell you not to eat of this tree? You will not surely die. And Eve's response was, yeah, uh, yeah he said, um, we can't touch it or eat it. God never said you can't touch it. So that shows me right there that somebody wasn't quite clued, on, clued in on what God was telling her to do. See, when you study God's word and you desire to know God's word, you won't add to it or take away from it. It'll be what it is. But that only comes from giving attention to it. That right there tells me that Eve was giving attention to something else. She was distracted. But Jesus, he's not distracted. Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Verse 8, again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. What's he looking for? You bow down to me. You submit to me. That word worship doesn't mean, uh, you know, lift your hands and sing to me. That means uh, reverence. That means submission. That's what worship actually means. When we're doing praise and worship here, when we take time to worship God, that means you're taking time to submit to him. For a lot of people, worship is an awkward moment. Because they know their life isn't really fully submitted to him. And it, it's tough being in a room with someone you're not on the same page with. It's like going on a, on a blind date and you have no care for the person across from you, but they're into you. But you know, I don't feel about you the way you feel about me. And there's what? Awkwardness. But when we worship God, we bring our lives into full submission to God. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came 
and minister to them. What would it have been like if Adam and Eve would have said, away with you, you cunning, deceitful little serpent. I don't submit to you. I submit to my God. And he said, don't eat of the tree and I won't die. So I'm not going to eat of the tree. I don't care if you think that the fruit will make me just like God. I don't need to be just like God because he's already made me in his image and in his likeness. See, he was tempting Adam and Eve with something that they already were. Except for the evil part. They didn't know good and evil. They only knew good. Now, Jesus was victorious in this attack. This is the attack. And Jesus was victorious in this attack. Because he remained submitted to God's word. He did not he was not victorious just because he was Jesus. This is an illusion that a lot of people have is that Jesus did the things he did, and Jesus was the person that he was because he was the Son of God. That's just false. Because he was a hundred percent man. He had every opportunity to give in to the temptation. In fact the Bible says that he was tempted on all accounts just as we are. And we have this illusion that Jesus has something we don't have. You notice Jesus didn't even begin his ministry until he proved that he could put down Satan and that he re- and when he received the Holy Spirit on his life. He didn't do anything. I've had people ask me, do you think Jesus ever healed sick when he was in high school? Do you think Jesus ever prayed over other kids? And his- no. He didn't have the Holy Spirit on his life until he turned 30 years old and was baptized. That's when his ministry began. And his first miracle was turning water into wine. So we have to quit making this excuse that, well, you know, Jesus was the Son of God. and We have the same Holy Spirit living inside of us today. We have the opportunity, if we give ourselves to God's Word, give attention to what He's already written us and spoken to us, to be victorious in every aspect of our life. Was Jesus victorious in every aspect of his life? Was there anything that defeated him? The cross actually ended up helping him fulfill his purpose. The enemies that he had in his life actually ended up helping him fulfill his purpose. I mean, that just blows my mind. I mean, winds and waves, got them. Sickness, check it off. Death, been there and done that. There was nothing that controlled him. Demons. And you look at his life, the way that he walked through life. He didn't fear any of that. He didn't fear his enemies. He didn't fear sickness. He didn't fear death. He didn't fear demons. Why? Because he was in the same position that God was in in the garden. The enemy is not the problem. My purpose is what is at hand. There was there were times where they would try to throw him off a cliff, or they try to stone him, or they try to take him out, and he knew it's not my time. That's some boldness. They've got you in their grip, getting ready to throw you off the side of this mountain. But he knew it's not my time, and he disappeared in the midst of the crowd. And he didn't do any of that just because he was Jesus. He did that because he gave attention to God's word. Look at this in John chapter 4, verse 34. John 4, 34. 
Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Food is a priority. That's what he's saying here. What, what is food? It's my energy. It's what keeps me going. It's what keeps me alive. It's what I live for. My food is to do his work and finish it. John chapter 5, verse 30. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous. Because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. This is Jesus speaking. The Son of God. Who, if anyone had the right to do whatever they wanted to do, it'd be God's Son. But even Jesus said, I don't do anything because I want to do it. I don't do any, my own will. I don't do anything on my own initiative. I do what he tells me to do. John chapter 6, verse 38. John six thirty-eight. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is a repetitive theme in Jesus' ministry. This is why he had power. This is why he did what he did. This is why uh, demons bowed and sickness left and dead people raised up and, and winds and waves stopped. It was because he was not working on his own. The battles and the struggles he faced on a daily basis were not his own. He knew, this is my father's battle. So if I do what he's asking me to do, then I will be victorious in every situation. John chapter 8, verse 28. John eight twenty eight. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of Myself. But as My Father taught Me, I speak these things. And He who sent Me is with Me. The Father has not left Me alone, for I always do those things that please Him. What's He saying? I'm in a co-op mission. I'm in a co-op mission with my Father. And He hasn't left me because I've followed His instructions. He's still with me today. We're still in this mission today. We're still fighting this thing together today because I have done what pleases Him. That needs to be our quest. That needs to be our question. That needs to be our challenge in our life. Are we fighting the mission with God? Are you fighting the mission for God. He has sent you on a mission. Those places that you think are struggles, that, that workplace that you think is a crazy environment, why would God want me here? Uh, those, the, those places on a daily basis that we end up in and we're thinking, this is just a struggle to wake up in the morning and go here. This is just a struggle to talk to this person. It's just a struggle to be married to this person. It's just a struggle to be this person's sister. It's just a struggle to be this person's son, this person's mother or father. That struggle is your mission sent to you by God with His direction on His assignment. And your victory in that arena of your life comes when you submit to the ultimate authority. I'm here today to tell you that you're not fighting this thing on your own and God is not fighting it for you unless you're following His instructions. He's not fighting it for you without you doing anything. Last thing I want to look at. Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 5. <clears throat> of all the people that Jesus came across in his life, 
this man stood out to him the most. This is a Roman centurion. Now remember that Jesus came back to reestablish a kingdom. And everything I'm telling you today, this victory and this conquest and this battle that we're fighting is about a kingdom. God is king. He is in authority. We have been placed on this earth to rule and reign on this earth. And man, I can't wait till we start talking about that here in a couple weeks. But this thing is all about a kingdom. The number one person of all the people that Jesus dealt with, came across with in his life, this person got him the most. Look what happens here. Verse 5. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Sounds like a battle. Sounds like a struggle. Sounds like somebody's looking for some victory here. This is a Roman centurion. He knows battles. He knows struggles. He knows fights. He knows wars. But he also knows kingdom. He knows authority. He knows submission. He understands these things. So Jesus said, I will come and heal him. I mean, he just throws him right in the box with everyone else. You probably don't believe that I have the power just to say something and get it done from where I'm at. So I'll come with you. I went with Jairus. I had to go to Bartimaeus. I had to have the the woman with the issue of blood touch me. I mean, I had to go to the the man that my disciples couldn't heal. And so I had to go to that man's son and and cure him of the demon within him. So I'll I'll come. But look what he says. The centurion, verse 8. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. But only speak a word and my servant will be healed. Look what he says here. For I also am a man under authority. With all the authority that Jesus was pushing around, with all the rebuking he did, healing he did, multiplying he did, with all the preaching, I mean, there's times where people were astonished at just what he was saying because he spoke with such power and such authority. He didn't read the scripture like everyone else. He didn't talk like everyone else. But with all that, this man realizes you're a man under authority, with authority. And he says, for I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. I am under someone's authority, and there are people under my authority. You are someone under authority, and you have things under your authority. That's awesome to think about, that Jesus, throughout his life and throughout his ministry, demonstrated that what he did wasn't his own. I mean, this man must have heard him when he made these statements over in John. I do nothing on my own accord. I do nothing on my own initiative. I don't say what I want to say. I don't do what I want to do. I only do what my father tells me to do. This centurion must have heard that and seen that. Verse 9, For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to this one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now watch what Jesus' response is. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, 
I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Not even in Israel. And Israel is a big place. I mean, he's got his disciples with him. Imagine what you're thinking if you're Peter or James or John or Matthew. And he says this, you're thinking, you kidding me? I follow you. I know you. I've, I've seen the things you do. I have faith in you. And why did it come from a Roman centurion? Because he understood a kingdom. He understood submission and authority. And he understood that I lose all my power and I lose all my authority if I don't remain under the authority. And Roman was, Rome was a kingdom. Rome was the kingdom established exactly like what God wanted his kingdom to look like. Rome was in the natural the kingdom that God had set up in the spiritual. That's why the Bible says that Jesus came at the appointed time. Why did he come when he came? Why didn't he come sooner? He was waiting for a natural realm to show up that would reflect what God's realm looks like. And now, the one man in all the Bible that gets Jesus, that understands him, is a Roman centurion, an enemy to the Jews. Rome came in and conquered their nation. Rome came in and took over their nation. They were not close. But this Roman man saw something in a Jewish man that woke him up and said, you know what, I think this man's got the power to do what I need him to do. Because he demonstrates authority and submission to the authority the way I know authority and submission to authority. That's what we're looking for. And did this man receive victory? We know that Jesus said, okay, fine. Just as I say it, it will be. And we know the Roman centurion and got home and his servant was completely healed. Victory. Why? Because he identified with authority and he identified with, look, I don't have any power outside of my ability to remain under someone's power. And this man understands that. This man understands that he doesn't have any power and authority. He doesn't do anything because he wants to do it. He doesn't do anything outside of God's will. He doesn't do anything outside of God's word. And so that's what I'm bringing today. That's what today's message is all about. If you are one of those, if you've been trying to do it all on your own, and you've been leaving God out, and you have forgotten that the battles and struggles that you face on a daily basis are His, and you're trying to fight them on your own with your natural tactics and your natural ability, I'm here to tell you today, the battle is not yours. You can be excited. You can praise your God. You can worship Him. Because your King is the one that has sent you on this mission. And if you're the one that has been sitting back and waiting for God to do it all, if you're the one that's been sitting back thinking, God is powerful, you know, if this is what He wants me to go through, He doesn't want you to go through torment. He doesn't want you to go through trial. I'm going to tell you right now, God does not put you through any trials, torment, and tribulation. He promised them, but He did not bring them. We must get that clear. Because then our perspective is wrong. 
and our perspective is that our king is bringing us in the situations that we're fighting against. And that's just not true. He has sent you on these missions, but he has sent you on these missions to overcome and to fight. It's his battle. And the victory belongs to him. But for us to walk in that victory, we have to realize we're not fighting on our own. And we're not waiting for him to do something outside of us. That's where we went last week. And this is, you know, this has been a wake-up call for me. It's caused me to look inside my life and, and ask, what have I been sitting around waiting for God to do and he's been waiting for me to get up and do what he's telling me to do? What is it? That's what we have to look at. There is no struggle, there's no battle, there's no war that wages that comes outside of these two rules. There's no, there's no battle that does it. And we have to identify that our victory is in Him. Our victory is contained in the fact that we fight His battle the way He tells us to fight it. And we'll see the same victory that Jesus saw. It works every time. Paul talked about it. Paul talked about authority. Paul talked about submission to authority. And our inability to remain under God's authority leaves us powerless. We're trying to command things to take place and we're trying to pray for things to happen, but there's no power, there's no authority behind it. They're weak. They contain nothing because we're not submitted to His. But I believe we've got, we have a church, we have a body that is submitted to God's authority, that is excited to hear God's word, that is excited to let God's word reign and live within us so we can see all the situations in our lives come under our authority. Because we have power. I'm not saying your power has been taken away from you. I'm saying that it's, it's stagnant. There's nothing there if we don't remain submitted to him. But I'm thankful that we have a people, a body, that is submitted to the king. Amen? Well, Father, we thank you for this word this morning. And, Father, I thank you that we have the ability to adhere to your word, give attention to your word, live according to your word. And because of that, Father, we will be victorious. Because of that, we have the victory you promised us. The victory doesn't come because you're doing something without us. The victory comes because we're working with you. This is a partnership. This is a co-op mission. And, Father, I thank you that when we go into battle, when we go against these trials and these struggles, Father, I thank you that we will remember that the victory lies in our ability to listen to your word. And, Father, I thank you that uh, this morning we will take a direction in our life to give more attention to your word, to adhere closely to your word, and to do whatever you ask us to do, even if it sounds silly and ridiculous. Father, I thank you that we can... Be obedient to your word, knowing that victory is on the other side. And I thank you that you work with us. I thank you that you have placed us on this earth with the control and with the dominion to work according as you have called us. It's your battle. Let us never take that for granted. Let us never forget that we're not fighting this battle alone. When we feel alone, when we feel like you're not there, when we feel like uh, we're stranded, Father, I thank you that we will remember this word. If nothing else, we will remember this word this morning, that you have sent us on this mission. The battle is not ours. 
it's yours. Father, I thank you for that word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.